picking up in our reading. If you're reading along in the three-year cycle through Read, Pray, Love Daily, I'd encourage you to pick that up if you haven't, haven't done so. Uh, we'll take a break next week. Ben will be preaching. Uh, ben has a preaching class that he's taking right now for his doctoral studies. And so if any of you want to throw out an amen during the preaching, that may bump his grade a little bit. So any oohs or ahs, that'd be appreciated uh, as well. I will be out. Uh, Corey, being the master student recruiter, uh, recruited my wife to go on the uh, student trip to Lake Jay. And then through that, I've been recruited. I'll be one of the chaperones. And then he's also now recruited my younger son. He, I think our cat is going. So he's got everybody from our house going on that next week. So we'll be, we'll be out starting uh, this Wednesday. But I reserve the right to come back to this. These are passages I've never preached before. And so I've enjoyed looking at what the Lord has to say in some of these new places for me in terms of preaching. But it's also been good to just watch what the Lord has done through the Exodus. And now we're bumping into Leviticus. We started that reading this week. I thought about, I want to preach from that book, and that's why we may come back to it, but not this week. After the tabernacle's been built, and they, the, basically the verses are, hey, if you, after this is done, just take a bird and you ring off it. What? Then you tear it. No, I'm not preaching that. Not this week. Maybe in a couple weeks, we're going to go back to Leviticus and see what the Lord has to say about not only our holiness, but the beauty of his holiness. And then the psalm for this week was Psalm 23, and we've, we've preached that passage. You've heard that passage at many of our funerals. So we're back in the book of Acts for today. But it's important for the church to go back to that book. Sometimes we can look at it as some kind of glorious, unattainable history for the church. But what we bump into what Peter and Paul and more importantly the Spirit are saying throughout this book, it's that whatever they had then, we can have that now. Whatever they did then, church, were to do those things now. And so we're back into the book of Acts. There's so much more here that we could talk about. We're going to look at three things. If you're following along in your notes, we could talk about the fellowship that was so important to the church. We could talk, as we did a week or two ago, about the importance of celebration, about having glory sightings and naming uh, uh, to the Lord those great things that he's done for us. You see Paul doing that here. He just can't get over what God is doing in the life of the Gentiles, the way the Lord is just sharing his grace and love with all as he had promised. But following along, starting at verse 22, one of the things we notice, and you just can't miss this, is conflict. You see this even in the earliest of the church's time. You go back to the verses just prior to this, verses 7 through 16, and Agabus has prophesied over Paul over what's going to happen to Paul at the end of his time, that he will be handed over to the Gentiles by the Jews. He will be bound. And Paul's reaction to that is, bring it. I'm ready. Bind me, kill me. But that's what's just happened before. So let's get the context of this passage. He's coming from that prophecy and that news. And then you look at verses 27 through 40, what's happened after this, and you've got the multitude seeking, not only they stirred up, but they seek to grab him. Some were seeking to kill him, and it was stopped only by the soldiers. So that's the bookends of this passage. 
You're going to be bound and given over, and here you are being taken, and people are wanting to kill you. Hopefully somewhere in the middle we'll get a little, a little break. Paul can take a breath. And what do we see here? He enters Jerusalem. He's greeted. He has this conversation about, here's what God has done among the Gentiles. And you see initially, what do they say? It's glory to God. We've heard about what's happening. We give glory to God. Finally, sanctuary. Oh, but Paul, we've got one more thing. It's constant for Paul, this kind of conflict. Get in the middle, Paul. Solve our problems, Paul. Save us, Paul. You name it. You been there? Has that been that kind of week for you? Maybe that's your current work environment. You need to settle everything, mediate everything. Or maybe that's your extended family, that you're the only one who's holding things together and can talk to the other brother or sister or to the parent. Nobody else can talk to your parents. You're the only sibling that can. Save us. Get in the middle. There's one more thing. And there's always conflict. Look, there's a great truth of life. Some, everybody's, unfortunately, everybody's always talking. That's just the reality. If it happened for Paul, it's going to happen uh, for us. Paul is telling the Jews, this is what they've heard, you don't have to worry about your ancestral faith. You don't have to worry about the law. Did Paul ever say that? No, but that's what I heard, and so it must be true. One of my former music ministers in a past church had a terrible dream about her husband, who was an ordained minister in the Baptist church. She had a bad dream about some bad things that he did, and when she woke up, she was mad at him, and she let him know about it. And he said, honey... I will barely be held accountable for the things I do in your waking hours, let alone your sleeping hours, right? (laughs) Paul didn't do this stuff. He's not been telling people to deny their faith or that the, the law doesn't have its place, but the word has gotten out. People have been talking, I heard this, and then they change it just a little bit. Paul did not do what they said. He is walking a beautiful and fine line with these Gentiles. And yet there is conflict. Can I say as well, if, if, you, and I, if you and I are living the life that we're to live with our friends and with our family in the workplace, look, there's just going to be conflict. It's just going to come up. By the way, that's, and we've bumped into this some with our Exodus reading. That's why Sabbath's so important. That's why we have to, have to hammer it out that we're going to have a time of worship together. We're going to have a time of rest with the Lord. And, 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 and if we don't do that and build that margin into our lives, when we walk into that world of conflict with family and friends and work and all the obligations we have, it's, we're going to be thin. And we're going, to be, we're going to be struggling because there is going to be conflict. You look at Jesus' life, you look at Peter's life, you look at Paul's life, Stephen's life, you just name all the great uh, folk, people of the faith, there's always that kind of conflict. And again, if there's not that conflict for you and there's been a long season of that, it may be a time to look at your life and say, Lord, why, are, why am I not getting pushed? Why is there not any Uh, stress over how I'm living and the decisions uh, that I'm making. But when it comes, don't 
Don't fret about that. It, it comes to everybody in the book of Acts. People are messy. I'm messy. It's interesting when you watch Jesus. Well, it's not even Jesus. You just go back to what we talked about last week in Acts 19. All that spiritual warfare that's, that's happening there. And then you look at how Jesus responds to that. It's interesting. Jesus doesn't, he just deals with those, with that spiritual warfare, just kind of off the cuff. But when you have him, when you, when you watch him having to deal with people, that's when he says, I got to go get along with my father. <laughs> I got to go pray. I got to turn over some tables. I got to go fashion a whip. You, that's that life with me and with people, it's messy and there's conflict. And nobody escapes that. If you're doing ministry, if you're living a life for the Lord and for his kingdom work, conflict is going to come. Now, you look at the, the issues Paul's dealing with and the hoops they're asking him to jump through. We'll get through that in a minute. But you watch his life and it's it's people. And because it's people, I can do this. Uh, and you watch his reaction to this, to that conflict. Sarah and I have been to several uh, marriage seminars over the year. I encourage you to do that and keep reading. We're always working on that relationship. One of the things I loved about one session we did on conflict resolution is they reminded us of the great truth that so many times the problem isn't the problem. Typically, the real problem is in my reaction to the problem. Now, some, some problems are so big, yes, that is a huge issue. But when the garbage doesn't get taken out, the reaction to that so many times can be the real problem. When we add sarcasm or we blow up or we, whatever that might be. And you watch Paul's reaction here. He simply, and we're going to get into that in just a minute, this is his method of operation, he defers. That's, that's his method. Look at verse 25, and this is another reminder for us. Not only is there always going to be conflict, when truth is at stake, when the gospel's at stake, when evangelism's at stake, his response is, sure, I'll do whatever for the kingdom. Without compromising, without stepping back, and we'll look at that in a minute, but the reality of conflicts on every page of this book. So you've got that conflict, but then dropping down to verse 25, then you see it even goes deeper for Paul. Here's this conflict. They're saying things that I didn't say. They're playing around with stuff that does not matter. The law matters, but this, what they're talking about, doesn't matter. And yet he receives their counsel. So not only is there conflict, but then he receives the, their counsel. He's gone to Jerusalem for Acts 15. We've just been there. Now, part of the agreement on that is it seemed good to the Spirit, and Paul will always defer to the Spirit. What does he say in Romans? Who are the children of God? Those who are led by the Spirit. So if the Spirit speaks, yes, okay, that's good. But again, people matter. It's not just about the Spirit. It says in Acts 15, it seemed good to the Spirit and to us. But this is Paul. I told you last week. I was sitting right there, and a little four-year-old looked up at my wife during vacation Bible school, 
and asked her, so, you got a boyfriend? I mean, I'm sitting right beside her. And he asked that question to my wife. Well, then later on, uh, the next day, one of her students redeemed the whole situation. This little girl, full of wisdom and discernment, told my wife, or didn't tell my wife, she told her mom, and her mom came back later and told my wife that the daughter was privileged because I got to be in the boss's wife's class. (laughs) Y'all hear that? I'm the boss. Paul is the boss. You're talking about somebody who stands up to crowds, somebody who hears he's going to be bound and says, bring it. Somebody who's, who's, this is the handkerchief healing guy from last week, right? Even my sweat rags heal people. I am the boss. What do y'all think? What do you say? And he listens. And he takes their counsel. These people who are confused. I mean, he's listening in verse 18 to James. This is the half-brother of Jesus who has now stepped up. But like like Saul, who's now Paul, his past isn't so good because he didn't believe in his half-brother Jesus. But here, James wants to speak, and Paul says, I'll defer to that in Acts 15. And then here, these James and the elders, they want to speak. They're not the boss. Paul's the boss. I'll listen to what they have to, to say. I was blessed to do uh, student ministry for 13 years, and I had left a, a large student ministry and went to another church with a, which a much smaller student ministry, and I remember only being there about a month or two, and then we had this planning retreat. I had not done that before, but it was a planning retreat where not only all the students participated, but all the parents would come together, and they'd plan the entire year for the students. So we're going to decide what retreats we go to, what trips we go to, the things we're going to study. Now I was young and I was, I thought I knew what I was doing. I felt confident in what I was doing. And to be honest, to hear from a 50 plus year old parent on how to do student ministry, I don't know. I didn't feel so good about that. I had just come from a couple successful youth ministries and to have somebody tell me, now on these trips we need to make sure that children eat fiber and go to bed at six. (laughs) Not really. But they were saying things. I was like, this this doesn't connect with students. It was a good lesson for me in being the church. That's why every time we celebrate baptism, it's a good lesson for us in being the church, that we're all in this together. I'm telling you, I bumped into that planning retreat and I, I pushed back on that my first couple of years there. But how, do you, how do you know? This is what I live for. I breathe for this. I study this. I, and to hear from parents and allow them to speak into my life, to allow students to say, hey, here, again, I still didn't, you know, Branson trip for a 13-year-old. Wasn't right. It was 60-year-olds. But anyway, um, here's what Proverbs says. eleven fourteen. Where there is no counsel, the people fall. But in the middle of counselors, there is safety. Chapter 15, 22. Without counselors, plans go awry. But in the multitude of counselors, they are established. 22, 6. In a multitude of counselors, there is safety. 
whether it's David's life, when you see crazy sin in David's life, it's when he's missed counsel. Jonathan has died, and there is no Nathan yet in his life. That's when you see David fall. And many of the Christian leaders or pastors we've seen fall, and we're all human, we're all tempted, we all struggle. But it's interesting, in some of the high-profile ones recently that we've seen, it's because there's zero accountability there. Zero accountability. Anybody to check. No one to listen to. I am the boss. And Paul, who could claim that status, says, okay, what do you have to say? What do you need to speak into my life? Who's speaking into your life? Now, again, sometimes, and I've told you that before with me, there was a long stretch and season of my life. I didn't have anybody speaking because nobody was volunteering to do that. And so I had to go out and seek that, to seek another Christian man who would speak into my life and say, hey, here's some rough edges. You need to listen to those parents and those students that are planning a retreat mail. Listen to that. There's some wisdom in that. You need, to, you need to have heard what you've said with your family. You need to think about this, to have somebody speak truth as well as grace. So many of us are so hard on ourselves and our work environments are so hard and, and we feel the burden of parenting or grandparenting or, or whatever that might be and just nothing's ever good enough to have somebody come along and speak grace into your life or truth, whatever that may be. Paul says to people who don't know all that he knows and who are younger in the faith or not as accomplished in the faith, he says, I'll listen to you. What seems good to you? That's Acts 15, and it's also Acts 21. Paul understands there's going to always be conflict, okay? Paul, so, Paul is also open to and accepts the counsel of others. And then this last one in your notes, you could put a couple of words here. We're going to talk about cost. Another word could be conciliation, as you see here in verse 26. And I want to be careful when I say that word. It does not mean compromise. It doesn't mean capitulation. But it means yielding and deferring, trying to mediate and to bring about reconciliation. You see Paul say that here. You see him live that out as well in Romans. If there's anything that makes a younger Christian stumble, that doesn't just mean by age, but somebody who doesn't fully understand, and these Jewish Christians are having an issue with that, and the things that they've heard, Paul says, you don't be a stumbling block to them. And we watch Paul live that out here. Again, the one who is the boss, and they look at him and they say, not only do we want you to go and pay for these, these people that are going to make a vow, but Paul, we think it'd be good if you did it too. I'm sorry? Excuse me? You know, no, 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 no. We don't just want them to go make this vow. We'd like it if you would go, would you go ahead and purify yourself as well? Oh, no. Not that. What have I done? He hasn't done anything. He hasn't said anything that has earned this. If you go back to chapter 18, if you remember reading that, he's just cut his own hair for a vow. You say, I don't keep these traditions. That's right. There's some traditions I've let go, but even just a few days ago, I had cut my hair. I haven't given, I haven't said the, sure, I'll go with them. I'll pay for it and I'll defer 
and I'll yield. Why? Because it's people. People are everything. Whatever I need to do without compromise or capitulation, if there's anything I can do to bring y'all together, if there's anything I can do to make the gospel as clear as possible, I will do it. Now listen, you want to talk about how he should have responded or I would have responded in the flesh? If you remember in 1 Corinthians and also in Romans 15, there was an offering for the poor Jewish Christians in Jerusalem by the Christian Gentiles who were also poor. If you remember, Paul has said, hey, the the church has said people are struggling in Jerusalem, Jewish Christians, so they're poor and we know you're poor, but we need some help. We're thinking, most scholars think, this is when that money was delivered. So Paul has not only glorified what God's doing, he's just dropped all this money from the Gentiles, and now they're going to say, that ministry you have to the Gentiles, you need to jump through our hoops, and you need to go through this humbling and be purified. I just dropped all this money. Sure, I'll do it. Paul would write to the Philippians that Jesus emptied himself. Jesus humbled himself. The one who Paul would also call in that same, very same paragraph, Jesus is the Lord. He is highly exalted. He is a name which is above every name. He emptied and humbled himself. And Jesus did that, he says, by taking the form of a servant and was made in the likeness of man. Oh, the beauty of Christ's empathy with us to take on our flesh, to humble himself, and the beauty of his compassion. And it's the same thing here with Paul. And he learned that from his Savior. These Jewish Christians are going through a tough time. These Jewish Christians are fighting and pressing against a nationalism within the Jewish nation. They're also being killed. There were assassins who were murdering Jews who worked with Gentiles because they didn't trust the Gentiles and the Roman oppression. So if you're a Jew and have anything to do with the Gentile, your name is now on a list. They were struggling. There's probably 500,000 to 2 million Jews right now in Passover, the Old Testament celebration of Passover in Jerusalem at this time. There are real tensions for these people. There's a good post you see on Facebook every once in a while that says something like, everybody you see, everybody you see is going through something. Now again, you watch Paul. It doesn't mean we have to react in certain ways. It doesn't mean we need to bite back. It doesn't mean we need to act out. But Paul understands what they're going through. These people are struggling. And so he can yield and he can defer. Not compromise, but defer. Go down to verse 20 because this is the heart of Paul too. Why would you do that? I just brought you a gift. I'm the boss. I'm not doing anything wrong. Verse 20, there were thousands of Jews coming to the Lord. Their literal word in Greek means, up. it reads like thousands upon thousands. Some Bible commentators said that means 50 plus thousand. Thousands are coming to Jesus. As long as I don't compromise. And in our age, y'all, we are called on to compromise all the time. That's not what this is but to work towards conciliation, to try to bring these two together. Folks are being saved like crazy over here, and folks are being saved like crazy over here. Of course I'll do that. The boss will defer because it's, it's for people, 
And so he yields and he purifies himself. Listen, if you read about the vows that they're taking there in your study Bibles or in a commentary, it wasn't just one kind of sacrifice. It was multiple. This was a serious financial cost for Paul as well to take this on. Not only is it the cost of humility and possible ego and just... I gotta go defer, I gotta go be embarrassed and go there when I don't have to purify myself. But it's it's real cost and real dollars. And what Paul says about Christ in Philippians again is he humbled himself and he took the form of a servant. As we so beautifully heard this morning, you take up your cross. Why? He took up his cross. Christ, who knew no sin, became sin for us. He took up his cross. And so Paul says, I can go to this thing. I can pay for this thing because Christ has paid for all. Without even blinking, Paul says, sure, I'll defer and I will yield. No, com no compromise, but yielding so that thousands upon thousands get saved and Gentiles now have the Spirit of God. I'll do whatever it takes for the kingdom of God as long as there's no compromise. Don't let me get in the way. My ego get in the way. My resources get in the way. My time get in the way. My plans get in the way. Whatever it costs, I put it on the altar. Jesus, you have it. You take it. What does that cost for you? Is it ego? Is it resources? Is it time? Is it your plans? Is it your... And Paul says, you have it. I want to be in the middle of what God is doing. Christians, we can take heart that when, when there is conflict, it's on every page of Acts. It probably means the Lord's in it. And even if, if somebody's just bringing it anyway, the way you respond to that, as Jesus responded, as Paul responded with grace and truth, the way you respond to that can speak volumes to a world that is so broken and so full of conflict. It's a good word here about counsel. How is it you and I need to allow that into our lives to seek that, but also how is it, as we said four or five weeks ago, you can give counsel? How is God calling you to do that with gentleness and reverence? And then lastly, what, what, are, what are those places in our lives that we're being called to yield, not compromise, but to yield so that Christ might be made known. Let's pray about that. Father, we thank you for this, your word, for what we see in your servant Paul and his response to conflict. Father, I pray for all of us that you would guard our hearts, guard our actions, guard our reactions to conflict. May we see you in it. May we see your son's plans and purposes in that and, and to, to be really cognizant of your kingdom work around us, that, that, that when those conflicts come, we'll be open to your Holy Spirit in our reaction and in our words, in our response. Father, as well, help us to, to, to be open to what you will say to us through others. And Father, we pray that everything that we would do would be for the purpose of bringing others to your son, Jesus. We won't let anything of ourselves, our stuff, our will uh, get in the way. 
but we will simply be about being clear with our lives and our words and our attitudes uh, that we'll yield and defer for the kingdom of Jesus. It's in his name that we pray this prayer and for his kingdom's sake. Amen.